what attributes, what are your favorite attributes of God that you would want to share? When Mark uh, sent me an email, he said, any three you choose, you just can't choose love. It's been done. And I said, okay, well, uh, how do you narrow it down to your favorite three attributes of God? When God is God, I mean, incomparable God, all-powerful, all-knowing, you can start with those, uh, those uh, main features that we often talk about. But uh, how do you narrow it down to three? Because God is everything. God is so much. And uh, today what I'd like for us to do is to just strictly look at Scripture. In fact, with the exception of one New Testament Scripture, they're all going to be from the Old Testament. All the Old Testament. Why, why do I want to take uh, from the Old Testament day when we're talking about those attributes that we love and appreciate about God? Well, because we, not us, of course, but uh, some people tend to look at the God of the Old Testament as this kind of a stern, serious God. And Jesus, the incarnate God in, in the New Testament, is the more loving and accepting and but you know, I did a breakout session for the uh, uh, church co-op this past week, or last week, and we actually concentrated on some of the hard sayings of Jesus. And when you begin to look at what Jesus had to say about discipleship, he did not take it easy. He said, he said things like, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. He even said things like, renounce all that you have and follow me. You know, he was pretty serious about some of the things that he said too. But he was loving, Right? He was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow as God, God the Father. And today we're going to look at the passages where uh, it, it speaks to the loving Father, God, our loving God who is patient and kind and merciful uh, with us. And so today is going to be a little more devotionally oriented, if you will. Not going to be so academically oriented, it's going to be more devotionally oriented. And I'll be honest with you that whenever Mark asked me to pick the three favorite or my favorite attributes, these are the three attributes that I am in the midst in my own life appreciating most about God. Not that I don't appreciate all of the other aspects of God. Of course I do. But in my life now, these are... Those, these rise to the top of how much I appreciate about God and how he's working in my life and things that he's showing me in my life. First of all, God is. When we talk about, well, you know, what are some things about God? Well, first of all, God is. God is. You fill in the blank. God is. It's like he said in the Old Testament whenever he was uh, uh, speaking to Moses and giving him the charge to go to Egypt to free his people. And what did he say about himself whenever Moses was concerned about, well, who's, what if they asked me who sent me? What did he say? Say, I am sent you. I am. I am the all-sufficient one. I am the all-knowing one. I am, you fill in the blank. <clears throat> we also remember in the New Testament that Jesus said, Before Abraham was, what? I am. I am. That was a claim of deity. That was an acknowledgement that he was one, equal with the Father. He said, I am. When we talk about attributes of God, especially the amazing, the, 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 the good attributes of God is, God is, you fill in the blank. The first one I'd like to look at is that God is personal. God is personal. When we see so many 
other religions, in fact, I would say that the Christian faith is the only one that is oriented this way. Most other religions, it is a matter of man trying to get to God, man trying to please God, man trying to find ways to serve God. And, and maybe, just maybe, when it's all over, the good works, the accepted works of God uh, uh, that, that you've done in this life will outweigh the bad things that you've done and somehow you'll get into whatever that is that's, that's there when this world is over. For some, whether it's reincarnation and you come back as maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a brilliant scientist instead of a cockroach, you know, something like that, you know. Uh, for some it's heaven. Maybe if I can just be maybe good enough, maybe I will get into that paradise. But the Christian faith is the exact opposite where God did the work and God came to us and he's personal, intensely personal. In Genesis 1, 26, what did God say? The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Elohim, the plural of El, the first clue of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. What did he mean? Did he mean that we were going to look like God? Well, we can't look like God because God is spirit, right? He didn't have a body like us, Jesus Christ. Anyone know uh, what he looks like? Now, I, I admit that through the years, I've kind of wondered that myself. You know, how tall was Jesus? What color was his eyes? You know, how long was his hair really? You know, of course, you know, our children's Bible tells us that he was blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and, you know, probably about 5'11", you know, but... Uh, you know, what was Jesus like? Because he, he was God and he put on a body and so they could touch him. In fact, he encouraged them, touch me, come and see, get close. But that's not what God meant here. God said, let us make man in our image. Man was going to be unique from every other created thing because he was made for a relationship with God. Made in our image means that we are made for relationship. We're made with emotions. We're made with feelings. We're able to love, even if we don't even understand how to describe love. We're made for relationships with people. That's why God, whenever he created the man, knew he was going to create woman. He already knew that. It wasn't like he looked at it and said, I'm missing something. What is it? Uh, no, he knew he was going to create woman, but he made the statement, it's not good for man to be alone. Was man alone? No, he had animals everywhere. He had birds, he had fish, and... but he was alone. Why? Because there wasn't someone like him. And when God created man, he said, I'm creating someone like me that can relate to me. And I can relate to them. And God is always the pursuer. So he's personal, but he's always the pursuer. What's interesting now, I hope that you can read this. It's, I know it's kind of small. But I'm going to uh, cover on some of these verses and just kind of just share with you some of the things I, that, that God was speaking to me through these, these verses. 
we see in Genesis 3, 7 through 9, then the eyes of both of them were opened. We know who he's talking about, right? Adam and Eve. And it is after they have sinned. It's after they've eaten of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. They knew that they were naked. Their eyes were opened. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They weren't smart. There was a lot of other leaves they could have used other than fig leaves, but that's what they chose. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what? Hid themselves. They hid their bodies. They hid themselves. They went to some barrier. They put something between them and who? God. Did God not know that they had done it? Of course he did. Did, Was he going to ask him the question because he needed knowledge? No. He wanted man and woman to realize what they'd done and come to their own realization because their eyes were open. So they hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Where are we now? Have you ever had maybe a relationship with someone that has gone south? Miss Carolyn, well, you're just really into this, aren't you here? <laughs> Hank's going, no. Just you ever had a relationship that's gone south and you, you, you really don't even know kind of how to go about maybe repairing it? And you might have a conversation with someone. You might say something like, so, so where are we? Where are we? In other words, what, what, where, where, where is our relationship now? And what do we do about it? How, do we, how did we get here? And then how do we get back? And so when God was asking the man and the woman, he said, where are you? Because something major had happened, and yet God was still the pursuer. He didn't just stand off and let Adam and Eve just, you know, waller around until somehow they realize, you know what, we haven't seen God in a while, and then they go looking for God. God immediately knew what had happened, and he pursued them, and he's personal. He was saying, where are you in relationship to me now? That's a question we have to ask every day. Where, are, where am I? Where am I with God? Because I can assure you that he's pursuing you. Why? Because that is part of his character. He's personal. He's personal. He doesn't act like we do. You know how sometimes maybe you get your feelings hurt uh, by somebody? And, and what is our tendency? To go find out that person, to go seek that person and say, Hey... Can we work this out? Now, a lot of times we go, I'm just going to let them come to me. They're the ones that it's their fault. And then so we stand back. Whose fault was it here? It was Adam and Eve. It wasn't God's fault. And yet God, the personal God, sought them out in the cool of the day. He knew where they were, but he sought them out. 
In Exodus 19, verses 18 through 21. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of the lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, what was happening here? Moses was bringing the Ten Commandments, right? And the people are seeing this incredible display. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Do you see a pattern here? You see, we're always the ones that are putting something up between us and God. All the while, God is the one that pursues us. We've been doing it for all of history. In some religions, they've got to have the medicine man. In some religions and in some cultures, you know, uh, they've got to have the, the shaman or they've got to have the priest or they've got to, they've got to have somebody that will stand between them and God. For all of history, we've been saying, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us. And yet from the very beginning, we know that it was God that would always come wanting to speak to us, wanting to have a relationship with us. And we're always the ones putting up the barriers. If we sin, we don't want to, we're afraid God might be mad at us, so we put up a barrier. If we're, we're many times more comfortable to have someone else speak to us on behalf of God rather than speaking and hearing from God directly. I believe that has always been the intent of God to have a one-on relationship, one-on-one relationship with mankind. We're the ones that put up barriers. We're the ones that pick people to do it. And what does God many times do? He accommodates us, but it was never his intent from the very beginning. In Numbers 11, 26 through 29. Now, the people have been complaining. Imagine that. They've been complaining that they didn't have what they had back in Egypt. You know, they didn't have enough meat. And when they were back in Egypt, they had fish and it didn't cost us anything. And it's wow, wow, wow. And they're complaining to Moses and Moses is about to pull his hair out. And he's looking at God, you know, that exasperated look like, what? I didn't give birth to these people. What are you doing to me? You're killing me, you know? And they're complaining. And finally he says, okay, okay, I'm telling you, you're going to have enough meat. In fact, you're going to have, he says it in the Bible, you're going to have so much meat it's going to be coming out of your nostrils you're going to have meat believe me but then we come up to this point and and then so what god says okay i want you to appoint 70 elders and they'll share in fact i'm going to take a portion of my spirit on you i don't know how this worked but god understood it i'm going to take a portion of my spirit that rests on you and i'm going to put it on these fellows so they can share the burden with you because it's too much just for you so they met, and then uh, a portion of the Lord's Spirit fell on them, but it, it didn't stay indefinitely, but it happened. And, but then it says, Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. <clears throat> 
They were among those registered, but they had not gone out of the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But look what Moses' response was. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? In other words, are you afraid that they've got something that I really should have? Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses is saying, look, I was, I was charged by God to go down to lead his people out from captivity. I'm the appointed leader, if you will. But let me tell you, because the people still looked at him and said, you talk to us, we'll listen, but don't let God talk to us. And Moses says right here, sometime later, he says, you know what? God would rather that his spirit be within all of the people. Why? Because you can trust God. And if his spirit truly reigns in each one of those people, they don't have to do, they don't have to have a leader. Why? Because God is their leader and they will do God's will. But once again, in this case, you had Joshua and you had the other young man saying, hey, look, Moses, you got to do something because everybody can't just have this, you know. You should be the only one and maybe those 70 guys, but we can't just let everybody have this. Moses said, God would that all of them have it. You remember this passage, 1 Samuel 8, 7 through 8. I, I rarely can read this without choking up. I really, it's such a sad verse to me. You remember when all the people said, look, we want to be like what? Everyone else. You ever had kids say that? You ever thought that and you're like, you know, I just want to be like everybody else. That was the cry of the people. We want to be like all the other nations. And guess what? They have a king. They had no idea what they were asking for. Moses did because he's in Deuteronomy. He told them when they, they could expect when they went into the land that one day they're going to ask for a king. So God knew what they were going to do because they were stiff-necked people and they wanted to be like everyone else eventually and they would succumb to the cultural and societal pressure. <clears throat> and we want to be like all the other. I mean, after all, the other nations, they have kings. Why can't we have a king? And the Lord said to Samuel, so when Samuel brings us to the Lord, Samuel's burden. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that you say or all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Samuel, you're, you're experiencing the pain, you're experiencing the rejection, but you're ultimately not the one they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. And yet all God had ever done was to care for the people. Now, they didn't want to completely give up God. What were they essentially doing? Well, God, we still want you to bless the crops, and we still want you to give us victory over our enemies, and we still want you there. But let a man speak to us. Let a man rule over us. 
And so once again, they're putting something up between them and God. And you hear how personal God is here, can't you? Telling Samuel, Samuel, modern vernacular, don't let it get to you. Just let it go. They're not ultimately rejecting you. You've got to keep perspective here, Samuel. Ultimately, they're rejecting me. So, before we move on from this, are there things in your life, are there things in my life where we don't completely give up God? It's just that we push him a little further away because either we don't want to hear what he has to say about something in our life, or we don't want him messing in our life. And maybe we lead a good life, and it's not a bad life. It's actually an ordered life. It's a respectable life. It's a good life. But we still keep God somewhat at bay. And maybe even there we will put things in between because we have the Spirit within us. Whether we ever say it out loud or not. But we have the Spirit within us. You speak to me and I'll listen. But don't let God speak to me. But God is personal. He knows every need you have. He's absolutely interested in your life, even the things that you think are mundane. Why? Because God is personal. God is about relationships. And what do you do when you have a relationship with someone? You talk about everything. Talk about everything. You don't say to someone that you love, that you are in relationship with, look, hey, from now on, just talk to me about the important things, okay? You're, you're wearing me out. So if they're big things, let's talk. Otherwise, heh, you know? We don't, no, where you want to go eat tonight? I don't know where you want to go eat. I don't know where you want to go eat. I don't know. What do you feel like? I don't know. I was just kind of thinking of steak. Well, I was kind of thinking about Italian. Okay, well, let's do that. Well, now second thought, steak sounds pretty good. You know, you're, there's a whole mundane conversation that just went on right there. Why? Because you're in relationship. You're talking. You're communicating. And even the mundane things in your life and in my life, God is interested in. He's personal. God is merciful. Has anyone ever experienced God's mercy? Oh, if you haven't held it, well, I'm not asking you to hold up your hand, but if you have not or you don't think you've ever experienced God's mercy, be grateful that right now you're breathing and you're alive. That's God's mercy. God is so merciful. He's so merciful. Merciful meaning that when he could judge us harshly or he is totally in the right because of our sin and yet extends mercy to us. Deuteronomy 4, 28 through 31, once again in the Old Testament. Moses speaking to the people before they go into the promised land. He's not going to be able to go with them. The second law, Deuteronomy, the second law. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone. So he's already telling them, how about that? There's a pep talk for you, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to go into the promised land. You're going to start serving gods of wood and stone and work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there, in other words, when you get tired of that, 
and you realize they don't do anything for you, they don't communicate with you, they're not personal gods, they're just made, they're inanimate objects that for some reason in your craziness think have some sort of power. But when you finally get to the end of yourself, from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. Why will you find him? Because he wants to be found. In fact, the moment that we come to the end of ourselves and we're seeking for God, you ever have, you ever do something and somebody walks up behind you, you don't hear them and you turn around and go, oh, excuse me, you know, right there. That's the way it is with God. When you have strayed, guess what? He's pursuing you. How do you know that? Because the Bible says that he, he seeks the heart who is devoted to him. He's looking for the heart that's completely devoted to him and sold out to him. So when you are walking your own way, you come to the end of yourself, you turn around and say, that's it, now I'm going to seek for God. Well, excuse me, he's right there. He's right there. And he's got that look on his face. Why? We see it modeled in the, uh, the prodigal son, don't we? Yeah, the father didn't go to the pig sty. He probably didn't know where his son was. But when the son came to what, the scripture says, to the end of himself. And he's thinking, what in the world have I created here? He went back. All he wanted to be was a servant because even the servants lived better in his father's house than he was living. And he's walking back. And what does it say? And the, Lord, and, and the father saw him from afar. And what does he do? He does a very undignified man in the, uh, the Middle East for that time. He girded up his loins and he starts running to his son. Jesus told that parable because it was a picture of the father's love, not the prodigal son. The father's love. But when you come to the end of yourself, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is what? A merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You see, God was always ready to forgive when they repented. That's why when you have that seven cycles of judges in the book of Judges, the people would do fine, then they would, they would, uh, you know, they would sin, and then God would raise up a lot of times uh, an army, but in this case he would raise up a judge. The judge would re- lead them to repentance, and then they would start the cycle all over again. That's what they kept doing. But every time when they returned to the Lord, he was there to forgive him. Why? Because it's in his nature. It's not just something he does. It's who he is to be merciful, to show mercy, even when we don't deserve it. And God doesn't forget. God does not forget. Now, the thing is, uh, you know, we often say, um, and I think this is in error when people say, you know, when God forgives sin, he remembers it no more. I know the scripture says he remembers it no more, but it's just simply giving us a picture of where he casts it as far as the east is from the west, meaning that he chooses not to hold it to your account anymore. 
And so sometimes I would hear, you know, speakers kind of get cute and they'd say, you know, you're going in, you're confessing a sin that you've confessed a hundred times to the Lord and you take it again before the Lord and the Lord saying, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what, what are you talking about? I, I forgot that. You know, well, no, that's, God doesn't do that. If God forgot anything, he wouldn't be God. He's all-knowing. Of course he knows what you did. Of course he remembers the sin. The difference is he no longer holds it to your account. He frees it from you. He frees you from that as well and the penalty of that. That's why he makes a conscious decision to cast it away from you. Why? Because it's no longer held against you. Why? Because he's merciful. Is God just? Yes. And only God can always find that perfect balance between justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. Okay, so just something just popped into my fertile little brain, so I'll just go with it. But ever you've seen the, there's a judge, I think he's up in either New Jersey or New York or somewhere like that. He's on YouTube and on. And it's basically like a traffic, you know, violations or something like that. And, they got a whole series of these and he's there and he's this older gentleman. He's sitting there and, and they're coming because they, they ran a red light or they hadn't paid their registration sticker or something like that. And they're there. And, and, and all of a sudden he just stops. He said, well, well so, so what happened here? You know, and they tell their story. Maybe you've seen this before. I, I can't even remember his name. I'm sorry. I, I, I'll be more specific, but, but then he hears their story and then he you know, and a lot of times it's coming out of heartache. You know, a single mom struggling to keep a job, but yet her car, she ran in for just a moment, and now her car was impounded and all that. And the guy, and he, he goes past the law, if you will, and says, well, what happened? How, how did this happen? And he finds her story, and they tell her story, and the judge is completely engaged. And then he'll say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to forgive this. I, you know, the, the bailiff, uh, the, 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 uh, the infraction is forgiven. I'm going to forgive this. Uh, and, and God bless you for what you're doing. And, 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 and I'm proud of you for, you know, and, he, and he'll encourage the person. And you see, there's been numerous, they start crying. They start weeping. Because they know technically, according to the law, they don't deserve it. Because the judge could very rightly say, I am so sorry. I, boy, that is just too bad. That would be $150. Boom. You know, like that. But the judge not only asks them what's the backstory, and they begin to tell him, and he's fully engaged, and then he forgives the debt. But those people go out changed. Oh, I promise, judge. Thank you, judge. I, I, I can't tell you enough. Thank you so much. He said, I right, just, just don't want to let me see you back here again, at least for the same reasons. That God can find that perfect balance between that attribute of him that he is just. And we will receive justice, but then mercy as well. Where mercy is, is not deserved. Jesus, the only New Testament verse I want to quote here. Jesus said, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Mike, whoever said Jesus didn't challenge us for hard things? Does that kind of get you all excited about lending money to somebody and don't expect anything in return? Mm-mm. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. 
for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In my life, in times when I have just gone through life and really been ungrateful, probably more just oblivious, but sometimes just ungrateful for what God had done for me, when I finally have come to my senses, I'm so grateful for his mercy and his grace that was being poured out on me when I was being ungrateful that I might realize gratitude, true gratitude at some point later. Because God is merciful, even to the wicked and even to the ungrateful at times. Finally, God is faithful. God is faithful. And I'm going to wrap this up and very quickly, the verse, Deuteronomy 31, 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. In uh, July, on July 14th of 2012, I experienced this verse literally. You're going to say, what? If, I've, if you've heard me share this story before, I apologize and hope you just bear with me, but I want to just bring a personal aspect of this. In 2012, I was living in Austin. I was working at the Capitol, and I was, had already gone through some very challenging and difficult uh, times in my life. Um, I was going to be going through some more difficult and challenging times in my life. Wasn't really sure that I was settled where I was going to be uh, working or be able to build a career, and I was already in my 50s. And uh, I happened to live because of uh, the um, uh, the graciousness of a man named Charles Avery, who has since uh, passed away. He was one of the most giving, merciful, kind men that I've ever met. He had a farmhouse where I was able to live there uh, out in uh, the country off of University uh, Boulevard up in Austin and around Round Rock, actually, up in Round Rock. And it was kind of out in the country, and one of the things that I would do is I would get up and I would just walk, because I had all these country roads, and I would walk and I would pray out loud. And um, I would just, as I walked, I would pray and, and go up and down, and, you know, I'd get my exercise in while I was praying. I was prayer walking. And so on this particular Saturday, I was going up, and uh, I was going to go as about a quarter of a mile, and I was going up to the mailboxes. You know, they had those series of several mailboxes where you all went to one place and got your mail out. And it was up at the uh, the T of another road that was going. There was a stop sign there. So I walked up there, and while I was walking, I was just literally, I was pouring my heart out to God. I said, Lord, you know... You, you look down from heaven and you see everything that has happened in my life. You see what I'm going through. You see the uncertainty. You see where I, I, I am not sure about what the future might hold. I'm grateful for everything, every prayer that you've answered. I, I'm grateful for how you have provided for me all this time. But while I was praying, I literally said, but Lord, right now, I'm just going to tell you, I am scared, I am so afraid, and I'm so discouraged. I said it. I'm so afraid, and I'm so discouraged. 
So I, I, I'm walking and I had no sooner said those words, I'm so afraid and I'm so discouraged. 1001, 1002, I arrive at the mailboxes. And so I'm going to get the mail out. And I reach in to get the mail out and I'm pulling it out of the box and I just happened to look up. And here is a minivan that is slowing down at the stop sign to turn left on the road that it intersected. I'm getting my mail. I just prayed. I'm so afraid and I'm so discouraged. I get the mail out, look up, and here's this minivan. And on the side of the minivan is written Deuteronomy 31.8. Not the reference. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. The whole verse is written out on the side of a minivan. The Lord, he goes before you, has even put in a translation that used afraid and discouraged because that's what was going to speak most to me. On the side of the minivan, the Lord, he goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. That could have been John 3.16 written up there. That could have been, uh, you know, whatever. Any other verse, Philippians. And I would look and say, oh, that's pretty cool. But I began to literally shake when I saw that. And I was speechless. I was probably going something like, oh. oh." And And then I wanted to get the person's attention. And they just turned and drove off. And I am, I'm literally, I'm just, I don't have those kind of things happen in my life every day. I don't know if you do or not, maybe not. But that's what I needed at that very moment. And I start walking back. Man, I am got a skip in my step. I'm walking back to the house now and I'm running back and I'm now people, you know, they, they know I'm full on charismatic now because I'm going, you know, Lord, I knew that was, that is not a coincidence. I know that you could have been a voice in the sky and I would have not have been more impressed than that was on the side of a minivan. You wrote your word, you know, and I'm walking back and I run upstairs, get my Bible and I will confess to you, there's not a whole lot highlighted in Deuteronomy in my Bible. I, I just, I confess to you. But nevertheless, I ran upstairs, grabbed my Bible, opened up to Deuteronomy 31.8, and would you believe the only verse I have highlighted in my Bible was highlighted. Why? Because at some point in my life, and I don't know when it was, but at some point in my life, God had so impressed upon me and it resonated with me and whatever I was going through, and I highlighted that verse. But because God is faithful, he's faithful, he just simply reminded me of what I already knew. But I just forgot it. But he hadn't. So that was Saturday. All that weekend... I'm driving down country roads. <laughs> Pulling into people's driveways not too far. Don't want to get shot. 
but you know, just kind of looking around and then put it in reverse and go back out. And I'm driving everywhere looking for that minivan. Thursday of the next week, about five o'clock in the morning boy, in Austin, if you don't get started early in the morning, you don't want to be on I-35 at eight o'clock in the morning. Nightmare, parking lot. Anyways, so I'm getting off early, early start down to the Capitol. I'm driving up at that same stop sign just past the mailboxes. I come to a stop. I look up and I see a minivan in my rear view mirror. And it looks pretty similar. It looks like the same minivan. So I get out. I'm stopped at the stop sign. The guy starts to get go around me thinking, you know, okay, he stopped or he's talking on his phone or he's texting or something. He starts to go around. Of course, I get out of my truck and I give the universal sign of I come in peace. <laughs> Five o'clock in the morning with my card in hand. You know, it's like, okay, just don't be afraid, you know. And I walk up, the guy's window's down, and I said, look, my name is Scott Ryland. I live right there in Charles Avery's house right there. And, and I said, but here's my car. And I said, but I got to ask you a question. Were you driving around with a scripture reference written on the side of your van this week or last week? And he looked at me and goes, no, it wasn't me, but I know who it was. And I said, I got to know. They have no idea. They have no idea how God used that in my life. He said, yeah, that's my brother-in-law. Married to his wife's sister. His wife and his sister were both Christians. He is a Christian, not sure about his brother-in-law. They've been praying for him for quite some time. I said, look, he's got to call me. I got to tell him thank you personally. I said, he has no idea. That was the exact thing that I prayed. And within two seconds... God is speaking to me through what he had written on the side of his van. He was a graphic artist, and it turned out that uh, he was discouraged. He had lost his job, didn't know what they were going to do, thinking the whole family was going to uh, uh, have to move. And his wife had her Bible open on the counter. He happened to go over, see this verse, and he went out and took one of those markers like they do at the car places and all and just wrote very artistically, the whole verse on the side of his van. When I finally got in touch with him and talked with him, I said, you have no idea. And I told him the whole story. He, and his response was, whoa. <laughs> yeah, he said, I, I just was needing some encouragement and it just was there. And so I just, I don't know why I did it. I said, I can tell you why you did it. Because God is faithful. And God had a message for you that day. And he had a message for me that day. And he also had a message for probably about 5,000 other people that saw your van while it was driving along the roads in Austin this week. Because God is faithful. And he gave me a chance to witness to him. But it is, it is, a, it is something that happened in my life that I will never, ever forget. It was just me and God there. Oh, and the driver of the minivan. But I prayed out of despair, and God showed me his faithfulness. I want to remind you of something, Scott. You knew it. You just forgot it. You're pouring your heart out to me like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What's this going to come? How am I going to, you know, hey, yeah, you know, and I'm just pouring my heart out. 
and he's reminding me, I told you once before, I will remind you again. I go before you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And you know what? It's very possible that someone here today has been going through something in your life. And yes, that verse was not written on the side of a minivan. But that verse was brought out because you needed to be reminded that the Lord, your God, goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, thank you for you, that you are personal, that you are merciful, and that you are faithful. Lord, so many times when we go our own way, you pursue us, you love us, you care for us, you bless us, And Lord, when we return to you, you forgive us. Oh Lord, we thank you and love you and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.